Hello and welcome to Nightlight. A few days ago, I had an experience I did not expect and sure did not enjoy, but I can't ignore it. And that was listening to a Christian broadcast, and it was coming from from people that I love and respect and have worked alongside and uh, believe in. And yet, I found myself resisting most of what I was hearing coming through that broadcast. And here's why. Uh, The devil, among other things, is always seeking to divide and conquer uh, Diabolos, one of the meanings of, of a devil, is one who turns things into duplicities as a stumbling block. That's one of the meanings of the word devil. And Jesus said a house divided against itself can't stand. And the whole heart of the, of the new covenant is the separation of uh, the the removing of the wall of separation, uh, and and that we all might be one in Christ, John seventeen. And if you're like me, you look around you and you wonder how that prayer of John seventeen is ever going to come to pass. But it will because Jesus said so. So. Uh, how that's going to occur may be related to what I want to talk about together today. I really wish we could just be together in a room, uh, sitting in a circle and, uh, wrestle through these things because I, I don't pretend to have all the answers and I don't pretend to sit here and talk down to you about our mistakes. I, I'm, I'm a living, breathing, manifestation of those mistakes uh, in the past, which is probably why I'm maybe strongly sensitive to when I see those mistakes being recreated. But this broadcast was uh, a Christian leader, and uh, he was in reaction to uh, some things that occurred this past week concerning racism in the evangelical church. I I don't know how many of you keep up with those issues, but there were some high-level conferences uh, on on the subject of justice and uh, caring for the poor and dealing with racism and all the things that are related to it. And... uh, this brother, who's a good man, I know he loves the Lord. I mean, I, from all accounts that I have, all in interactions I have with him, I'm not for one minute wanting to sit in judgment of his commitment to Jesus. But so much of what he said reminded me of the kind of cop-out remarks that I heard as a boy growing up in Southwest Mississippi in the 50s and 60s uh, 
and on into the 70s. Remarks that sadly, I think, uh, cannot be nailed down to just a decade or two ago. They're still uh, operative in the hearts of some people, many people. And it goes like this. Uh, We don't need to get all wrapped up in social issues. We just need to preach the gospel and obey what Jesus told us to do, and that is to get people saved. Now, on its face, who can argue with that if you're a Christian? I mean, how how could anybody take issue with obeying Jesus and getting people saved? Well, I'll tell you why you can take issue with it, because the devil is a master strategist when it comes to religious gobbledygook. And I grew up with that very kind of religious gobbledygook. Uh, I saw injustice. I saw the mistreatment of the black poor. I saw Christian people, and I'm not for one minute sitting here in judgment of whether or not they were Christians They had given their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, best anybody can tell. They called Jesus their Savior and Lord. They believed his word. They lived in as much as I could see a life that in some ways matched the gospel, except in this one glaring issue of enculturated institutionalized religious racism. It's bad enough to have an apartheid mindset of any kind, but to baptize it in religion makes it uh, twice more the offspring of hell. And so some of you might remember uh, in commemoration of the passing of Billy Graham, I wrote in the newsletter about my experience uh, in the barber shop, where uh, people that I'd grown up around and sat in church with, uh, I listened to them uh, make the comment after Billy Graham's conference or Billy Graham's uh, crusade in Baton Rouge. Uh, one of them in the barber shop made a statement, quote, I, I didn't bother with the Billy Graham conference or or whatever he called it. I didn't bother with uh, all of that because, you know, Billy Graham's a nigger lover. And I had had experienced the dealings of the Holy Spirit in my own heart on several levels, not to mention uh, this issue of racism. Because, see, I grew up in it. I mean, it was the air I breathed. It was the atmosphere I was raised in. My mother had no tendencies in that direction. Uh, She seemed to resist it, but she wasn't strong enough to be verbal in her resistance to it. She just, thankfully though, God bless her, uh, lived her life in a way that did not exhibit that spirit. Everybody else around me sadly did. And uh, The idea that you can 
quote, not get involved in social issues and just preach the gospel shows two levels of self-imposed self-deception. I started to say self-imposed ignorance, but it's really not ignorance. It's willful ignorance. It's, it's a, it's, or it's a demonic deception. Uh, and for most of us, our deceptions are rooted in willful sin. You, I don't think people get deceived by accident. I think there's things in us that set us up to embrace lies that maybe we, on certain levels, want to believe. And that's what uh, was going on in my boyhood. And it went something like this. When I would actually find the courage to question my elders and say, where where does this match the gospel? Where, where do we get off treating certain people as less than us and not allowing them into our worship services or uh, into our circle of interaction? I got all kinds of responses. Uh, the most common one, of course, was that God, God ordained the separation of the races. Where in the world you could find a chapter or verse to support such a thing uh, is beyond me. But religion, you know, religion has that strange capacity to make uh, foolishness into orthodoxy. And uh, common sense people who seem to have clear-headed thinking in most other areas of life put them in a religious context and they just can go amazingly stupid uh, in, in, uh, and do it in the name of the Lord. And so I got answers like, uh, you know, God made a difference between the races back in Genesis and uh, on and on. Well, you know, even if that, if that was true, it's quite obvious that the Lord Jesus separ destroyed the middle wall of partition that divided Jew and Gentile, and, and that would also apply to all the races. And I'll give you plenty of scriptural support for that here in just a moment. But before we get into the scriptural foundation for uh, the oneness of uh, humanity in Christ, I just want you to be aware that this is now becoming an, an ever-increasing conflict. And it's not going to go away and I'll tell you the reason it's not going to go away is because the Holy Spirit is not going to let it go away. He's the one who's stoking the fire that will separate the gold from the alloy and bring out a purged and purified truth that for the most part the evangelical church has ignored. Now, this broadcaster one of the things he was saying was he was in real reaction to some of the statements made in a couple of these conferences. And I want to say that in these a couple of these conferences uh, that I was able to listen to some of the messages in, I was concerned, too, that in these conferences, which were supposed to be 
for the purpose of addressing uh, ongoing racial racism and racial uh, division in the body of Christ, rather than addressing it in an even-handed, biblical, truthful way, they had taken on the language of the left, which is always deceptive, always disingenuous, uh, always condescending at best and outright antagonistic at worst. But because so many Christian leaders have not thought through these things on our own and had our own in-house discussion resulting in in-house repentance and a clear statement of, of where we stand uh, on these issues, you get knee-jerk reactions from well-meaning people, and they are well-meaning. I mean, if they're concerned about ongoing racism in the body of Christ, my hat's off to them. I'm, I'm for them. I thank God for them. But then it often mixes with other left-leaning ideas. Uh, and it, I don't want to go off on a, a rabbit-chasing spree here, but quite often, not always, but quite often, they will also mix issues of homosexuality and same-sex marriage with the racism issue, which again is just a diabolical ploy. Uh, any any black person or Hispanic person or a person of a non-white racial background should strongly take issue with any suggestion that where people uh, what people do sexually is on the same par with another person's sec, uh, genetic identity and race. Uh, you should be rightly insulted by that idea. But that's another issue that we won't take time for here. Now, if we're gonna if we're gonna defend ourselves against leftist misrepresentations of these issues, uh, that's fine. We, we need to take a stand against any left leftist idea that uses terminolo terminology like social justice and social injustice. Those things need to be clearly defined and biblically defined and not allowed to be uh, catchphrases uh, manipulated by people with a very clear socialist uh, political agenda. But you don't counter the errors of the left by running way over in the other direction into the errors of the right. We are not to speak from the left, we are not to speak from the right. We are to speak from a posture of humility on our knees before the throne of God and then speak down from the throne of God with the word of God. We don't speak down to people, but we receive our anointing and authority from the throne which is above us. And uh, when I hear well-meaning leaders trying to counter left-leaning arguments by jumping way over to the 
racism of my boyhood and and then doing it in the name of Jesus, I, I, I'm much more reactionary against that than I even am of the misuse of on the left. And here's why. The left manifests what it really is over and over and over. They've never met a baby they didn't want to kill. They've never seen a, a sexual deviation they didn't want to celebrate. Uh, they hate the name of the Lord. And even those Christians who identify themselves as being more leftist politically, when you, at least the ones I've talked to, I know I'm painting with a broad brush here, but almost without fail, they will never take a stand against evil. They they are so hypersensitive to not being, quote, judgmental, they won't even judge between uh, a, an apple pie and a cow patty. Uh, I mean, I've actually heard them say uh, with my own ears in their presence, uh, well, you know, I can't say that I agree with what Hitler did, but I'm not in a position to judge those who might agree with him. See, this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about. But as heinous as that is, it it doesn't bother me as much as when Christians who are seriously claiming to follow the Lord Jesus Christ take a posture like the one I heard on the radio and like what I heard growing up as a boy that we don't need to be involved in social issues regarding justice. We just need to preach the gospel. The reason I take issue with that more than with the leftist point of view is because, as I said, the left is pretty much clearly uh, unified in what they really, really are. You don't have to wonder what they claim to be. Even if they talk about Jesus, quite often it's another Jesus. Uh, and uh, you don't have to wonder where they stand. But on the other end of the spectrum, when people who claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ say, we don't need to be involved in social issues, we just need to preach the gospel, they're confessing ignorance on two un- inexcusable issues Issues we have, what I'm saying is it's inexcusable that we would be ignorant of these two issues. Number one, we're misrepresenting our responsibility as Christians where social justice is concerned. And number two, which is even worse, we're misrepresenting what the gospel is. When you say, I don't need to repeat it again, I've said it three times, uh, we're only going to preach the gospel. We're not going to mix the gospel with all this other stuff. The problem with that is you are taking issue with what the Bible clearly says is included in the gospel. I don't want to bore you with all the history that is behind this, but it, it post-World War One Christianity found itself confronted, actually before World War I, we found ourselves confronted with uh, strong resistances to, the, to Christian doctrine coming from uh, 
Darwinian evolution, which uh, set aflame a passion of the atheism that uh, had not been uh, so difficult to, to answer. And uh, then we found ourselves unable to answer it or un unwilling to pursue how to answer it. And it was during these, this period that Christians began to hide in our churches and we began to develop uh, what became, forgive me if you don't like this terminology, but it, to me it's accurate, uh, a Christian ghetto called evangelicalism. And the, the Christian ghetto of evangelicalism, uh, and thank, thankfully there were strong exceptions to the ghetto mentality. Uh, there were lots of organizations that were pushing past the ghetto and getting out into the world and dealing with the needs of the world. Billy Graham's ministry is one example. That he didn't stay inside the evangelical ghetto and strongly resisted and because he was against racism in every form he became the tool the Lord used in my childlike heart, my childish experience to recognize that my my local experience of Christian uh, Christian discipleship in my little Baptist Mississippi world was falling far, far short of the, the full intention and message of the gospel. And when I heard that man in the barbershop say, I, I didn't bother with the Billy Graham stuff because uh, he's a, and then I, I don't want to repeat the phrase. Uh, I was so struck in my heart that I had to choose which Jesus I was going to follow. Was I going to follow the, the Jesus Billy Graham had proclaimed? Or was I going to follow the Jesus of white Anglo-Saxon Protestant racism that sat quietly in its little uh, enclaves uh, down the street from the barbershop in our little Baptist church where we would never let a black person cross the threshold, much less reach out from that threshold to reach out to him, to comfort him, to bless him, to, to guide him. I have an acquaintance in uh, uh, Greenville, South Carolina, a man I met a few years ago, a godly pastor of a black church down there. He was led to Christ by Bob Jones, one of the Bob Joneses. I'm not sure which of the, I think it was maybe Bob Jones the third. Uh, the founder of Bob Jones University, and then his sons and his son and grandson carried on the tradition. And uh, I, I, I don't like naming people, but Bob Jones is so well known for this that I'm not slandering him. He seems quite proud, or he he was quite proud in his day of this stance. But this black man told me, he said he. Um, uh, Pastor Jones led me to Christ, and then he would not allow me to come anywhere near his church or his people. Now, today, that pastor who works well with uh, black and white congregations and has a solid ministry, he's not embittered by it because he recognizes that 
that was one of the manifestations of the times. You know, we we take we have to acknowledge the time we live in. I wonder how later generations might judge me for certain behaviors that I tolerate in my life or that I tolerate around me. I, I can't imagine our children and grandchildren not looking back at us and saying, how could you have tolerated that? And there's lots of places, there's lots of, of uh, things you can put in place of the word that. How could you have tolerated the sex slave trade? How could you have tolerated uh, various other things I could list? And I won't start listing them now. We've all got our lists. And then, sadly, I wonder, what about the things we don't have on our list? That's where we would be most condemned. The things that we're so accustomed to that are evil that we would one day be called up short for not being morally and spiritually awake enough to take action. I, I think probably the most obvious example is our lack as a nation of support for the suffering church uh, in in Sudan and, of course, in Ir- Iraq and Syria and uh, other parts of the world, uh, North Korea. I mean, our, our complete lack of interest, lack of response, uh, and again, I can't name the things I'm ignorant of that I'm not taking proper care to respond to because I'm obviously self-deceived about the necessity of taking action there. So that's why we pray. That's why we cry out to, to God for the Holy Spirit to keep us awake and awaken us more and more. And that's why we need the body of Christ worldwide interacting with us and us interacting with them. And that's why we need to cross over denominational barriers and uh, embrace parts of the body of Christ that have a greater sensitivity to these issues that maybe we're not aware of. Uh, but, you know, I I don't want this to sound disrespectful to all the good that came to me through my boyhood church. I've talked about that before. I've talked about how the Holy Spirit directed me to a a point of confrontation with him where I had to repent of my failure to, to embrace all the good that came to me through my white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Southern Baptist experience. But I can embrace that good and not contradict all that I have previously said about that good and still point out the ongoing evil and erroneous thinking that was uh, not good. And uh, I think one of the things that concerns me about the childishness of the current culture that we float around in, both Christian and non-Christian, is that we're not willing to examine a subject thoroughly and objectively, as, as objectively as we can. Nobody's ever totally objective, but... To, to examine a, an issue from both sides and see 
what is true and what's not true. And so we end up telling anecdotes. You know, I tell my racist anecdote about the bad black man, and then somebody else tells their racist anecdote about the bad white man. Somebody tells their sexist anecdote about uh, misogyny, and somebody else tells their sexist anecdote about uh, feminist craziness run amok. Uh, somebody tells their story about the perverse homosexual that they encountered, and uh, he deserved to be locked up and throw the key away. Somebody else tells their story about the kid who goes to his pastor for help with same-sex attractions, who is destroyed by the preacher's self-righteous pharisaical reaction. And, you know, both sides of these anecdotes will have validity. But rather than listening to both sides and saying, God, speak to us, give us wisdom to see how this should all be addressed righteously, and justly, we just tell our anecdotal side. Uh, so that's what I'm concerned about when I hear good, otherwise trustworthy Christian ministries coming out in resistance to what they consider as a leftist acquiesce, acquiescing to the left uh, in, in uh, accusing, he said, I can't stand to hear my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ being accused of things we're not doing. And and uh, I, I hear that. I don't I don't think it's right to, to sit back and be passive when people are being accused of things they're not doing, no matter what the circumstances. But on the other end of the spectrum. I want to just say this and hope that your heart can hear it. And if you disagree with me, I welcome hearing from you because that's what I'm talking about. I don't want to just make a statement that maybe is unsubstantiated. And if you've got other another point of view that contradicts it or contramands it, I want to, I need to hear it. The last thing in the world I want to do is disseminate more misinformation through a ministry that's supposed to be helping us come into greater uh, Christ-likeness. But the the white church of my boyhood not only did nothing to help the black people in their struggle for freedom, but openly, organizationally, and individually resisted the freedom that the blacks had been denied, resisted them ever coming into that freedom, and did it by quoting Bible verses uh, and waving uh, the the Christian flag, uh, the American flag, the Confederate flag, and uh, so on and so forth. Now, why did they do that? Well, there's several reasons. The first reason is that we had a very unbiblical and underdeveloped understanding of the nature of sin. Uh, Sin was a matter of behaviors. They did not understand sin as the poisonous root 
of rebellion in the heart of every man and woman. And so they did not see uh, that they, as long as they behaved like good, cho- good church-going white, uh, white people that kept their white world protected from uh, encroachment of the evil black man, uh, they were doing the will of God. They were white, not only in skin color, but in, in spiritual purity. They, they really believed that. And, uh, I mean, they wouldn't be so foolish as to think that the skin color truly was uh, uh, white versus black and uh, equating that with good versus evil. But the mentality was still there uh, that, that portrayed itself that way. Um, because they did have a... I say they. You understand I'm talking about myself. I had this. I grew up in this, so I couldn't think anything other than what I'd grown up till the Holy Spirit confronted it in me. They had a racist anthropology and a racist theology. They had worked out both anthropologically and uh, theologically that the whites were definitely uh, superior to uh, the, the blacks. Then... They would point to the economic deprivation and the uh, the brokenness and the drunkenness and the family disintegration of the black people and say, see, that just proves it. We, we need to keep our children and our women safe from that. Never occurred to our minds that they were in that condition because they were not allowed by white supremacist thinking and Jim Crow laws to ever cross the line uh, over into the superior white world of Christian white America. It it never happened. Uh, uh, I remember, I remember, and I know this is anecdotal, uh, but, but I just, I'm telling you what I remember. I remember standing in my grandmother's store one day and uh, people in and out talking about this or that and the the fire the fire department had rushed down the street and gone to an emergency and in a few minutes a woman walked in and and gave the all clear that never mind it was it was a black family that was whose house was burning and everybody breathed a sigh of relief and that was not uh, that story's anecdotal but it was not uncommon that kind of reaction that kind of thinking could be repeated. I could give you a thousand examples of it from my own childhood. Uh, that way of thinking. That way of thinking is so far from the gospel. It's so far from the nature and spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ that how can you ever, ever believe that it's possible to, quote, not get involved in social issues, but, quote, just preach the gospel, end quote. See, that very thinking that there is no responsibility of the body of Christ to act righteously and justly in uh, horizontal issues. All we care about is vertical issues. We got to get you saved and get you to go to heaven. That's all that matters. Never mind that our Lord and Savior said, when you pray, pray this way. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. All of that is vertical. None of that is horizontal. 
uh, excuse me, all of that is horizontal. None of that is vertical. And so we, we, we had a, a, a misunderstanding of the nature of sin. We didn't see that all men are in desperate need of regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Christ. We didn't see that. Uh, we, we had a racist anthropology and a racist theology. There was another thing I heard quite often as a boy that I still hear sometimes, and that is we must protect our way of life. We've got to protect our way of life. Now what they meant on a shallow, unexamined level was we must protect our idea that everything we think of about the races is valid and that any injustice or mistreatment of others that we perpetrate in protecting our way of life is by its very nature valid because what validates in, in just unjust behavior is that we're protecting our way of life. So you don't examine your way of life to see if it's unjust. You examine uh, uh, your way of life to determine whether you're going to act justly or not. And if your action is going to interfere with our unjust way of life, then you give up the just action and protect your unjust way of life. Uh, there was uh, a truly a belief system that black people were degenerate. I don't think anybody would dare embrace such a horrible thing uh, uh, in any any circle that I move in. I'm not accusing any brother or sister in Christ of having that mindset. But I still do want to say this without fear of contradiction. When I hear people say things like, what are they complaining about? Black people I'm referring to. What are they complaining about? I mean, they're, they're, they're all over the place. They've, they've got total control of the NBA. They, they control the NFL. They've got the black channel. They've got people on every TV show and every place imaginable. They're in business. They're, uh, they're everywhere. What, what, what are they complaining about? Now, do, do, you, do, you really, do you really think that achievement in the spiritual or in the, in the, the sports world or in the uh, business world, or in the arts and entertainment world, is somehow supposed to erase years of Nazi-level oppression of people? Can, can, you, can you imagine what it would be like to be a young black boy or girl in white-controlled America 30, 40 years ago? where the sheriff is, is a known thug who has killed friends of yours. And if you get on his bad side, you're going to die too. And there is no court of appeal to turn to. If you get called before white man's court, you're a dead black man or woman or child. Uh, 
and some, okay, you say, well, that's not going on anymore. Well, that's debatable as to whether it's going on anymore. That's a whole nother question we don't have time to address here. I, I can tell you that it is still going on in some circles. And uh, my, my point is this, the fact that we have in our own hearts a desire to contend against what I'm saying shows there's still something in our heart that's impure. So, Clay, are you pr- proposing that if we don't agree with what you're saying, you, we're impure? I, I'm not trying to set myself up. I'm, I'm just a, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a messenger boy. That's all I am. I'm just trying to rattle some cages and say that the reason, among the reasons that we are still suffering terrible injustices regarding race, and we still are, is because, not because there's still uh, uh, Jim Crow laws in place. No, they're gone. Not because there's still uh, big pot-bellied, beer-drinking, uh, white supremacist sheriffs in place that uh, have their deputies uh, uh, on the clan, who, who serve the clan, and then uh, are deputized out of the clan. Uh, no, that's 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 gone. I want to know this one question: When and where has the white church, both north and south, they're, they're, don't blame the su- southerners for this. This is this is this guilt is across the board nationally. When is the white church in America ever repented for not only not supporting civil rights? but for fighting against it. When has that ever been rescinded? I recognize it has been done in small circles here and there. But when is the Southern Baptist Church, for instance, going to stop calling itself the Southern Baptist Church because Southern Baptist, that title was only put in place as uh, an affirmation of the ongoing practice of slavery. So why are we still the Southern Baptist Church? Just a thought. So does it really matter? Does it really matter? Well, I don't know. Maybe in some circles it doesn't matter. But in other circles, if it... If, you know, if Paul, Paul said, if eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols makes my brother stumble, I'll stop eating meat. Obviously, Paul had no trouble eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols because he knew the idol is nothing. And everything we eat is sanctified by prayer and thanksgiving. But he said, if if the way you practice your way of life, remember a while ago I mentioned we got to protect our way of life. If the way we practice our way of life includes things that are hurting people that have been truly damaged by that particular behavior, should we not? Lay it aside. It's just a question. I can't answer it for any of us. Everybody has to answer to God in their own conscience. But uh, I love my culture. I love I love the the world I grew up in in many ways. But there's other aspects of it that I am as ashamed of it as I would be if I was a German kid who grew up in Nazism. 
I am as ashamed of what I saw take place in Mississippi as a boy as any German boy should be ashamed of what he saw going on in the streets of Berlin on Crystal Night. And I'll never change on that fact. God help me that I would ever change on that fact. And the idea that that's all okay now, because after all, times have changed. As C.S. Lewis warned us, the passing of time does nothing to diminish the gravity of sin. Only repentance and the blood of Christ washes away sin. And I want to tell you that wherever the Christian church, individually or corporately, wherever it is still in the heart of believers, that time has somehow covered this sin of ours. We don't have to make a public confession of it. We don't have to go to our injured black brothers and sisters and repent to them and ask forgiveness because we sinned against them in our omission and our commission of racist uh, stances in the in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And some who are still experiencing it right now to this day, yes, they are thankfully a shrinking minority, but they still exist. Until we have repented of that, in the spirit realm, the ramifications of that sin are still poisoning aspects of our ministry, our life, our social structure, and uh, giving a platform for principalities and powers and rulers of darkness to continue to feed into the the monstrous uh, racial divide and uh, violence. All that goes with it. Now there's a chapter in the Screwtape Letters where Screwtape is directing Wormwood in his effort to ruin a Christian to get Wormwood into uh, manipulating the Christian to fight over political issues like Passes, uh, should, should you make him a pacifist or should you try to push him toward the patriotic point of view? And Screwtape goes on to say, you know, it doesn't matter what you get him into as long as you get him to thinking that his Christianity and his pacifism is the same thing or that his Christianity and patriotism is the same thing. Because what we want, Screwtape says to Wormwood, is to manipulate them into mixing the gospel with secondary things that don't have any priority on the level of the gospel. Then get him to think that his mixing of subjects like pacifism and Christianity is uh, valid then get him thinking that there is no Christianity without pacifism, then just turn him into a pacifist with Christian as a secondary identity. Or do the same thing with patriotism. 
get him thinking, uh, as long as you're just a, you know, a Christian patriot. Now, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to be a patriot. Then it goes to, if you're going to be a Christian, uh, you're going to be a patriot on my, on my definition of patriotism. Then get him into patriotism with Christianity stuck on the end. And then finally just turn him into a nationalist where he's not even obeying God at all. That's a very real danger. And that's what my brother on the radio was trying to confront. And I understand that and I respect it. But there's still a subtle danger, which I've already spent all of our time together so far addressing. Now, here's the bottom line. What did Jesus tell us to do? Matthew chapter 28, we call it the Great Commission. What does it say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Or a, a more accurate translation is, go and make disciples of every nation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Well, what did he command us? Well, among other things, of all the things we could list, Jesus tells us in Mark chapter 12, in response to a question, what is the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equal to the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second is equal to the first. Matthew's version of that story, he says there is no greater commandment than these. Notice he refers to the commandment, singular, but then he says these. In Jesus' eyes, which are the only eyes that matter, there is one commandment with two parts, but they're not really two parts. In his eyes, they're all the same thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is manifested in how you treat your neighbor. And if you go into the Torah and you look in Leviticus, uh, I think it's Leviticus 19 and uh, various other places, Israel is commanded to treat the stranger as if he was born in their midst. Treat them as if he's born to them. So loving your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says, is the greatest commandment. And then the Torah, Jesus is himself the living Torah. He's not going to contradict a spirit, a, a principle of the Torah. And he says, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, even love the stranger as yourself. We disobeyed that commandment every day of my life when I was a boy. So it was not possible for us to preach the gospel, quote-unquote, while we were openly, willfully, arrogantly uh, disobeying in this one major issue. First John tells us, love your neighbor. Uh, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. John says, if you don't love your brother, you don't love God, period. There's no, there's no contradiction or there's no uh, controversy about the interpretation of that. Bottom line is, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother and hating your brother can mean 
treating him with indifference. It doesn't just mean you go out and burn a cross in his yard. It means you're just totally indifferent. Oh, don't worry. Uh, it's a black person's house that's burning down. No worries here. Don't be alarmed. A uh, black person's house is burning down. That's hating your brother. But everybody in that in that circle of conversation that day was in church on Sunday. God doesn't take these things lightly. And God help us if we take them lightly. So what else did Jesus tell us to do? Matthew 25. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. Or the sad other side of the coin. Depart from me, you practitioners of iniquity. I never knew you. Lord, how is it that you don't know us? I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was in prison and you didn't bother with me. You didn't even visit me. How many verses do we have to have? Uh, Acts chapter 10, uh, or Acts chapter 17. He has made of them all one blood who dwell upon the face of the earth. Ephesians chapter 4. He has removed the middle wall of partition that separated us, making all of us one in one new man in Christ. Galatians uh, chapter 3. Uh, there is now neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free. You know what one pastor told me as a boy when I asked about this racist issue? And I, I referred to that verse. Uh, there's neither uh, male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, but we're all one in Christ. He said, well, now there's still women and men, and we separate dressing rooms with men and women. Of course, he wouldn't know what to say now, would he? But we separate dressing rooms with men and women, so it's it's perfectly all right for the black people to live on one side of town and us to live on the other. What he really meant was to keep the black people over on the other side of the tracks uh, where it's uh, uh, poverty-stricken and crime-ridden and uh, uh, no no running water sometimes. And then, and then make fun of them because they dress poorly and they smell badly sometimes and, uh, on and that, you know, all of that. Say, well, Clay, you keep making references to your childhood and your memories of how it was. Uh, and is that fair? No, I, I, I know it's not fair. But I'm trying to point out that it was in that atmosphere that evangelical, Bible-believing, white Christianity was functional and did nothing to obey the gospel. And when I hear people today, I know I've said it too many times, I'm boring you with repetition, but maybe not. Maybe I have to keep repeating it for all of us, our sakes, myself included, when you start warning against the gospel being watered down with social action and social justice, keep that in balance. There is no gospel without caring for the poor and the indigent, 
protecting the widow and the orphan. There is no full preaching of the gospel if all you are concerned about is, quote, getting people to heaven by leading them in a sinner's prayer of some form. That whole idea needs to be thoroughly re-examined anyway. The evangelical idea of say this prayer, say these right words, believe these concepts, and you are immediately legally transported uh, into a whole new realm where you can still keep your old life and your old ways of thinking, your old ways of behaving, your old ways of functioning, but you're born again and your name's on the roll and you're on your way to heaven That needs to be examined and often challenged. And with that, I realize I am absolutely preaching to the choir. Nobody in Nightlight audience needs to be reminded of that reality. Uh, So forgive me. But Lord, we, we bring to you this issue. We bring our hearts to you not just the issue. We bring our hearts, my heart, Lord. God, deliver me from being the messenger who thinks he's exempt from the message because he's the messenger. Search our hearts and see if there's any wicked way in us and deliver us, Father, from anything that is blinding us to our true calling to our generation. And Lord, as Martin Luther wisely said, if we preach the gospel but neglect to address the evil of our generation, we're not preaching the gospel. So we we pray, Father, you'll protect us from the error of what C.S. Lewis called Jesus and water mixing the gospel with the gospel plus something else. But Lord, at the same time, protect us equally as much from thinking that a stripped down gospel that is lacking elements that you intended to be in the gospel is still the gospel. Thank you, Father, for your love and care for us in watching over these things and protecting the treasury of the true gospel in all of us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.